Welcome to Communicate Like You Give a Damn, the podcast. Our guests share their stories and approaches to embedding diversity, equity, and inclusion in communications because, I mean, let's be honest, we know the power of language. And language leads to behavior. So thank you. Thank you for joining us in leveling up your communications. I'm your host, Kim Clark. And DEI communications, it's, it's kind of my thing. So let's get into it. Let's learn more about how to communicate like you give a damn. Hey, everybody, welcome back to Communicate Like You Give a Damn. And who better else to talk to about something like this than Raven Solomon? <laughs> Raven is someone who I so respect and so admire. Um, I have followed her work for a long time uh, on LinkedIn. And um, I'll let her introduce herself. But one of the things that I want to say is thank you to Raven for the incredible work that she shares, um, how she's able to really make key points at key times. It's you know telling us the kinds of things that we need to hear, whether we are on the client side or uh, fellow DEI practitioners in some form. And um, she actually had uh, Janet Stovall and I, my co-author for The Conscious Communicator, we actually got to be on her weekly LinkedIn live show called the DEIER. And yeah, she's yeah. so consistent about it. It has amazing guests every single week. And so I, t- I tune in every, t- every chance I possibly can. And it's always so rich. And um, you're very generous in sharing content and demonstrating how urgent the work is, how necessary the work is, and the practical application that you bring to the work is so valuable because, you know, we're basically finding ways to eliminate all the excuses Mm -hmm. uh, for this work and get more people invited into the work and more engaged. So I really, really appreciate your leadership in this space. Uh, So Raven, thank you. Thank you for Thank being you. on Communicate Like You Give a Damn. I can't, can't wait for the conversation. Please introduce yourself to everybody. Yeah. Well, first, thank you for those kind words. Um, you know, they always say you should at least try to give folks their flowers when they're here. And so I feel like I just received you know, a couple of flowers from you. So thank you for that. Uh, I truly appreciate it. And, and uh, vice versa, right? The work that you all are doing is just incredible. And We'll talk, I'm sure, about the, I'd say, intersection of communications and DEI throughout our conversation today, but it's essential. And so I love the fact that you're bringing this expertise around a specific area of the business and really helping folks integrate DEI into that. So thank you. Thank you. Uh, but, you know, as you mentioned, my name is Raven Solomon. I get the opportunity to lead an organization we call Raven Solomon Enterprises. And essentially, we are a DEI education and consulting firm. So we always start with the education component. That's majority of what we do. Uh, but alongside that, we oftentimes provide consulting work to some of our clients as well. And so that being said, I get the opportunity more often than not to lead educational sessions, I would call them, across the country with all different organizations. I should really say the world now. All different organizations within different industries, different sizes, et cetera. But essentially, we're on a mission to do two things. One is to make spaces more inclusive. 
And the second is to help organizations get future ready through DEI. And so I talk a lot about the diversity of the future, which is now. Yes. <laughs> and really helping organizations understand that in order to, to survive and certainly to thrive in the future of work, you really have to be focused on inclusion and equity and belonging and accessibility within that pursuit. And so that summarizes, if you will, a little bit of the work that I do and, and a little bit of the why behind it. It seems so obvious to us, right? And yeah. in your education piece, you know, do you find when you're, I'm just going to get into the questions and I, yeah. I, I might back up <laughs> <laughs> because, you know, you triggered something that I think is a real challenge for a lot of clients is that mm -hmm. they don't, they don't feel the rock bottom. They don't feel the consequences. Ooh. You know, mm -hmm. I watch the TV show Intervention on A&E mm -hmm. yeah. streaming, if you've ever seen that. And mm -hmm. all the time, you know, they're saying there needs to be consequences. There needs to be, you know, a rock bottom. We have to mm -hmm. have this tough love with our bottom line saying, if you don't go and get help, yeah. you know, this is what's going to happen. And mm -hmm. we, we, are get, we are at that point. We've been to that point. But it's like it's still it still doesn't feel like those who are in the addiction, whatever that addiction mm -hmm. may be, um, are feeling the consequences enough to truly feel like I, I have to be a part of this change. I have to, you know, yeah. be a conduit for that change. What's mm -hmm. your experience around that and how you educate clients on the on those points? Yeah, I think you bring up an excellent point. I'm a huge fan of intervention as well, by the way. Um, I think it drives empathy in, in a, a real way. And so that's another conversation for another day. Mm -hmm. But to, to answer your question, I think there's a lot of rationale in the business case for diversity, equity, and inclusion. And oftentimes it is framed as an opportunity. Um, but I like to you know, challenge organizations to truly think about the opportunity costs associated with not doing this. So it's not just this opportunity for, you know, better profitability or this opportunity for better innovation that's going to lead to better ideas, that's going to lead to better products, and we're going to grow the, the top line. It's not just the opportunity, it's the opportunity costs associated with not doing this. And so when I talk about this generational business case for DEI, what I am talking about is there is an entire generation and really generations to come that really see inclusion as a non-negotiable. It's not a nice to have anymore. Right. For some of us, you know, we had the opportunity to make decisions for our careers and where we wanted to work, where we didn't want to work. And, you know, inclusion and DEI work was, was a nice to have for us. We're like, if we can get it, that's awesome. If not, then we understand that not all organizations are doing this work. Well, you're dealing with a generation in Gen Z and also forthcoming Gen Alpha. It's just not negotiable. And so the opportunity cost of not doing this work is you're going to find yourself really missing out on the top talent because they are used to a certain degree of diversity. They're used to a certain degree of accessibility. They're used to a certain degree of global mindset and seeing things through a global lens, being that they are digital natives and other things. And so with that being said, You've got this entire generation or generations to come of talent that is going to be looking to you and 
has the audacity to hold you accountable as an organization to actually doing these things, uh, they're not going to want to work for an organization that's not really doing this work and doing it meaningfully. And so that's the opportunity cost. I love it. I love it. And and that that is that's key. And I mean, and fear is a driver. I mean, we have to be you know, sure. we have to be real about that. So how did you get to this place where you are leading this incredible work globally at Raven Solomon Enterprises? Yeah, well, that's a long story, but I'll I'll truncate it for the sake of time. But essentially, I was in corporate, came right out of college, went into a managerial training program at PepsiCo, and I was leading teams, multi-generational teams, teams of, of all difference to sales success, particularly in that particular role, and uh, made my way to an executive level role at 28 years old, bouncing around the country, living my life. And then all of a sudden, I started having seizures and I was diagnosed with epilepsy. And if you know anything about epilepsy, then you know that stress and epilepsy just don't go well together. And so uh, while I enjoyed my corporate career, it was very stressful. And so I came to a crossroads, had to make a decision as to whether or not I would continue this awesome career, but potentially sacrifice myself in the process, or if I would venture off, find something else to do that I found just as much, if not more meaning in, and try my hand at at entrepreneurship. And so I decided to do that. I needed something that was less stressful. Now, I don't know if I've accomplished the less stress part in (laughs) entrepreneurship, but um, it's a different type of stress, right? Mm -hmm. And so I left my corporate career, started writing my first book, which is entitled Leading Your Parents, 25 Rules to Effective Multigenerational Leadership for Millennials and Gen Z. And the reason I thought about doing that book is because I, as I mentioned, came out of college, was handed my first team at, what, 22 years old of 16 white men who were old enough to be my parents. And so I had to figure out how I gained their respect, how I earned their trust, how I effectively led them across this generational gap. And so when I left corporate, I figured, hey, I didn't know a tool that would help me when I came out of college to do that. And so I'm like, let me write the book. So I wrote that book. And that was kind of the the ramp, if you will, for me into DEI. It was really through generational diversity and inclusion. Mm -hmm. And so ever since then, I've hung my hat on really the generational identity or the age identity within diversity, equity, and inclusion. And I love talking about generations. And I see everything through a generational lens. Hence, diversity, equity, and inclusion, right? That intersection of the future of work and DEI. A lot of that's generationally driven. And so fell in love with generational diversity and inclusion. And that led to us doing much broader work in the area of inclusion, what we would call integrated inclusion, equity, belonging, accessibility, and so forth. And so I like to say I stumbled into DEI, quite honestly, um, just by virtue of my lived experience, but also my professional experience in leading very diverse teams and understanding the the challenge that an organization would have and leaders would have in really trying to effectively lead across difference. And so I was just telling my team the other day, I was giving them a timeline of our organization. We're about seven years old, six and a half, seven years old. Uh, and my first speaking engagement was in 2017. Uh, my first paid speaking engagement, I would say, was in 2017 for $450 with uh, the Johnson C. Smith 
university upward bound program. And so reflecting mm -hmm. on that now sitting at almost a, a seven figure business, it just is incredible. Incredible. Well, congratulations on that trajectory. And so you are clearly seeing a need, bringing in your personal experience and lived experience, mm -hmm. and you know, especially from the generational lens, you have a very unique story um, in, in that career start that you can bring to the work. Mm -hmm. And as you're, uh, I'm sure you're getting lots of requests that are in and outside of what your um, specificity is in your focus mm -hmm. areas like generational uh, conversations in the future of work. Mm -hmm. So how do you um, manage that? And uh, what kind of, what kind of problems are you seeing that what you're bringing to clients, how are, how are you looking to solve them? Like what, I guess what I'm trying to ask, Raven, mm -hmm. is that what <laughs> I find is when clients come to me, they have a very mm -hmm. specific ask. Mm -hmm. Let me know if you have the same experience. It's like we're looking for X or we have this thing going on. But I'm always listening for what's underneath. You know, because typically since we're in this work, we we have an understanding that there's kind of a root. There's there's yeah. something else going on below the symptom. Mm -hmm. Um, and trying to address that. So how do you, how do you work with clients in helping them solve the problems that you can really see that's going on mm -hmm. while there's, they may see it in a different light? Yeah, it's a really good question. Um, and I think over time, my business has evolved so much where, you know, I mentioned my goal in coming out of, of corporate America was to be a speaker. I just wanted to be a successful speaker. And now that has transpired into something greater. Not only do I speak, which is my primary job, if you will, but I speak to organizations um, and colleges and so forth. But we also have this kind of educational arm of the business that is going deeper into the problems that you're you're mentioning, right? So my job as a keynote speaker is to scratch the surface, is to introduce you to some degree of, of learning or content. It's to open the door that would lead to you as an attendee furthering that journey of exploration and learning within this area, DEI. And then we've got this educational component to our business that comes in after that door is open with the organization, as long as they're willing to provide that deeper level of education and awareness. And so within that, the problem that we're typically solving there is just, I don't know how, right? I don't mm -hmm. know what to do. Mm -hmm. I know that this DEI stuff is important, but I don't know where to even start. So in that case, we'll come in and provide consulting for an organization, or they may say we've started, but we haven't seen a change. We haven't moved the needle. We haven't seen our leaders be able to truly lead across difference effectively. So in that case, we're coming in and we're really providing the necessary understanding of not just the how, but the what and the why and then the how. Because organizations typically come to us and say, hey, we want you to tell us how to be inclusive, right? But just give us the roadmap. Give us the Bible. Give us the Quran of it all. Tell us what we should be doing. And it's like, I can do that. I can tell you the how. But if you don't understand the basic what of it, meaning what do we mean when we talk about DEI? Right. What is the role identity plays in this? What are your identities? 
How does that then intersect with power and privilege? What is intersectionality, by the way? How does that thing connect with bias inside of systems? All of those things is the what of DEI for us. But we also believe you got to understand the why, right? What is the value of doing this? Not just from a business perspective, but also from a moral perspective. And where does that connect for you? And then I can help you navigate that how, right? I can help you understand what it looks like to build what we call inclusive capability. So that is typically what organizations are asking for. They're asking us to give them the capability to be inclusive. That's a process. It's a journey, right? And it differs across levels of the organization. So when we talk about integrating DEI at RSE, we're talking about integrating inclusive capability across all functions of the business, but also across all levels of the business. I see we've got a friend here, huh? Uh, yeah, for those who are watching on YouTube, <laughs> I apologize for the distraction to Raven, but you know, I guess my cat <laughs> wanted to make an appearance in this particular episode. A little fluffy tail. What's up on uh, YouTube there? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Too cute. Now, when you're working, um, especially around the generational conversations and, and keynotes mm -hmm. that you do, I certainly get asked this in my line of work, working with the communications part of the company, people who are mm -hmm. running communications internally, externally, social, brand, marketing, um, people who are creating content and stuff. And, and one thing that you said that I'm so pleased to hear, and I'm hearing this as well, is like, they see that they're not doing enough or the right thing. That's mm -hmm. that we just need to acknowledge that rather than like, yeah, changing the rainbow flag is enough. They're like, we're good. Mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. and something I coach communicators through is like just saying DEI in your statement doesn't mean the job is done. So don't mistake saying the terms with the yeah. fulfillment of the action. Absolutely. So sometimes I do get these questions around generations in, in the communications framework, mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. different generations communicate differently. And how do we bridge the communications across generations? So yeah. how do you, how do you speak to that? And, and, and what's like one key thing, give us kind of a, a little nugget tease mm -hmm. of something mm -hmm. that um, in your keynotes that people can take away as far as just having a, just a little bit understanding around the generations in the workforce. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Wow. You, you said something there that sparked a thought in my mind as you coach your clients on not just putting that DI word or the statement in the communication and then not walking the walk, right. Or walking the talk. I, I would almost say, especially when we're talking about the next generation of talent, the future of work, you might not even want to say it if you're not going to walk it out, right? There I, it I is. Would, I would, there it <laughs> I is. I would urge you to not even say it that's because right. when you it. say it, yeah. there's a certain amount of accountability that's going to come with that. And we know that we live in what some may call cancel culture, but others are calling consequence culture. To your earlier point, we know that there is a generation that, as I mentioned, has the privilege and the audacity to hold us accountable, not just as leaders, but as organizations. And so when they see it on the website, they're probably gonna ask you about it in the interview. And then they wanna see it when they come into the workforce. And if they don't, guess what's gonna happen? They're gonna leave. <laughs> That's right. They're gonna leave, right? And so I'm glad you mentioned that. But that communication component around generations is, is essential. I mean, there's something that I talk about in my keynote called Closing the Generational Gap. 
or leaning across generations, depending on who the audience is. One of the things that I talk about is this concept that I kind of borrowed and coined at the same time called a lead language. And so pretty much half of the world is, at least half of the U.S., I would say, is familiar with the love language, right? It's the way in which we best receive love. Well, I kind of took that, flipped it on its head and coined a lead language, which is the way in which we best receive leadership. And so that being said, with all the research that I've done around generations, I've taken the liberty to assign a primary lead language to each of the generations. And so when you talk about communication across generations, I think these lead languages play a role. So I'll give you one for the sake of conversation today. When I think about baby boomers and all that we know about baby boomers, how they grew up, how they were raised, their respect for authority, their tendency to follow rules, their uh, uh, definition of hard work, the amount of effort and energy put into paying dues, all of these things leads to this value of respect, this appreciation of respect. And so the lead language for a boomer typically is likely going to be respect. What does that look like to speak the lead language of respect to your boomer colleagues in communication? Right? Maybe it's starting with perhaps a salutation that is a little more professional. Maybe it's speaking their language in terms of their experiences lived or perhaps professionally, et cetera. Maybe it's chopping it up, as we call it, the small talk of it all, talking about life, connecting on the personal side before we hop into the business side, because we know that baby boomers value relationships, right? There was a time in which in order to sell something, you went on the golf course. And you spend time with the client, right? And you, all of those types of things. And so that's just an example of just one concept that I think can be applied, generationally speaking, across communication. Love it. Thank you. Thank you. So friends, if you're listening and age eight, you know, age and generational gaps are existing within your workforce, which I think that applies to every workforce, the five generations for the first time in the workforce, mm -hmm. then you just got a little nugget there from Raven of just a little taste of what you would get in bringing her in to help you navigate that. And mm -hmm. so let's talk about generations in general. Like when you're working with mm -hmm. clients and stuff, what do you see in your work as the role mm -hmm. of communicators and communications as a mm -hmm. team, um, as a, as a discipline, as a collaborator yeah. within DEI work. Mm -hmm. Say the question one more time, Kim, for me. What do you see as the role and purpose uh, of communicators within DEI work when you're working with clients? Yeah. yeah. Um, I almost would say that there is no more critical aspect of DEI than communication, right? And, and I would say that about virtually anything that we are trying to accomplish within an organization. If we're trying to lead any degree of transformation or cultural change, communication is essential, right? Um, and when I think about communication, I don't just think about verbal or written communication. I also think about the nonverbal communication, which I would call behavior, right? It is essential, we've talked about it already, that we're walking the talk, that we're actually doing what we said we were going to do. And so the behavioral aspect of DEI is communication. The language aspect of DEI is communication, right? It's how we explain, how we articulate 
why this is important to us, why it matters to us, and what we're going to do about it. And and I think, you know, every organization has a voice, has a, a DNA, if you will, to how they communicate. And so we've come across organizations who are like, okay, we want to do, you know, DEI, we want to make a statement on our, our uh, CSR portion of our website, we want to do something, uh, write the statement for us, please. And it's like, yeah, we can't do that. We can we can help inspire the elements of that communication, but it has to be within your voice. It has to be within the tenor of the organization. And so that's where communication comes in. So when we work with a client to draft any degree of DEI commitment, uh, DEI strategy, communications, the communications department of that organization is a huge, huge part of that because it's got to resonate internally and externally, right? And so I think the role of communications in DEI is everywhere through our behavior, through the language that we use, how we communicate internally, externally, et cetera. Well, I happen to agree uh, with you, <laughs> which is why, you know, I take my background of internal communications and, and that's why I'm like so focused on communicators because I, re I, I really believe that, you know, all the DEI work can't happen without effective communications. And that takes communicators mm -hmm. to truly understand what DEI is and isn't. And we are, we have a lot, I'll be, you know, really, really transparent with the listeners and the audience that we have a lot of repair of trust. You yeah, know, how many, how many posts have I seen from DEI practitioners mm -hmm. saying, oh, this is PR spin, this is marketing. Mm -hmm. um, and, and we, we have to take that criticism very seriously and understand it more and unpack it, not only to accept and embrace our role as communicators, as mm -hmm essential to your point mm -hmm. on the work of DEI, but also we really have to do the internal work of understanding mm -hmm. what DEI is and isn't because we are displaying our level of understanding through mm -hmm. vague statements, performative yes. posts. We're saying yes. we, we're basically just putting it on display that we don't truly understand what DEI is or we're not serious about applying it. So do you have yeah. any examples of that with clients and how have you uh, kind of worked them, you know, walked them through to help mm -hmm. them understand, okay, well, let's go to the next iteration. Yeah, absolutely. I, I completely concur with everything you just said. It reminds me of, and this is not a pitch by any means, but at RSC, we are working on a course entitled The Foundations of DEI. And the reason why we are doing this course is because, to your very point, Everyone inside your organization needs to understand the basic foundations of DEI. So if I'm in communications, I need to understand what we mean when we talk about identity. I need to understand how the identifiers that I hold might lead to how I communicate being biased or how I communicate being potentially harmful. And so it's essential that folks really understand just the basics of DEI, especially if you're in communications, because that's how the organization connects with its customer, its potential employee, and its current employees. And so if we're responsible for giving that voice of authenticity and truly showing that we understand what something is before we communicate it, then it's incumbent upon us to actually do the work to truly understand it. And so I urge everyone 
to to truly begin doing their own work to understand what we mean when we talk about DEI at a foundational level. Um, to your point also, I mentioned the word authenticity, and I, I think the need uh, for and the power of authenticity um, has to be understood in the area of communications more now than ever, right? One of the things that we know about Gen Z is that they they tend to be very cynical, right? They tend to be very um, very cautious, very skeptical, right? And there are a lot of reasons as to why they show up in this way, and it's it's rooted and grounded in their experience being digital natives, right? Always being marketed to, being bombarded with information. If you think about it, they have to decipher in in seconds, what's an ad? What's truly for me? What's authentic? What's Mm. performative? What's, you know, if I'm just scrolling through my feed on Instagram, I'm having to make these quick decisions probably every second. And so with that comes this need for and this desire for true authenticity to shine through when it comes to brands. And we see this when it comes to connecting with Gen Z as consumers. Uh, They tend to connect with brands that are organic, that feel real, that feel true and authentic. So it's incumbent upon us as communicators, especially in the world of AI and chat GPT and all the other things, right? right? That we figure out how we maintain the authenticity, even when we're utilizing the the future of technology, right? The the last thing I will say about this particular aspect is uh, really treating DEI as if it's this separate thing Mm -hmm. can really cause us to misunderstand diversity, equity, and inclusion in that show. It's not a separate thing. It's a part of everything. And if we treat it that way as communication professionals, then when we're in a meeting for, I don't know, rolling out a new product and we're talking about how we communicate that product, we see that through a DEI lens. How do we get this information to everyone and not just some, right? And so I just want to throw that out there as we see it happen all the time, organizations treating it like the siloed thing when it really is a part of everything. It should be. Thank you for making that point. Um, we have got to work together, Raven. I mean, we're yeah. so aligned. <laughs> for sure. <laughs> I concur. My um, my mentor has a saying where she says, the, any, the only thing that ever needs to be healed is the sense of separation. Mm. Now, you bringing up this point mm. that it has been framed as this separate other thing over here. Now, from a communicator's lens, you know, what I, what the separation I'm trying to hit, one of many, by the way, um, but <laughs> one example is you have DEI stories of Black History Month and Pride over here. Mm-hmm. It's not related to the business and you've got this rhythm right. of business in your communications yeah. with newsletters, stand-ups, mm-hmm. you know, safety moments, whatever it may be, mm-hmm. but you're not, I need you to connect the dots that it's yes. all the same thing. Yes. Yes. And, and that's what gives the feeling as as a consumer of integration, of intentionality, of cohesion and of authenticity. If you if you treat it as a separate thing, it, it comes off very performative. Right. It's like, oh, we just need to add this because, you know, the world is saying we should. The true way to add is to integrate, is to weave in. And it really becomes a part of 
your culture truly uh, and the tapestry of your organization and not just this separate thing because it, it feels that way, right? And it comes yeah. off that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, we, people are going to see right through it. Yeah. Even boomers. Sure. They're going to see right through it. <laughs> <laughs> they are indeed. <laughs> so how would you like to see communicators collaborate more, be more involved in the work um, mm-hmm. with other stakeholders that you work with? Pardon the yeah. sirens that seem to be going by if you can hear those. But yeah, Obviously. you know, because because that's another separation that also needs to be healed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think it starts, as I mentioned, with that communication professional going on a journey to understand the foundations of DEI. Because what you're going to do is, remember I talked about that continuum to me of DEI education. It's the what, the why, and then the how. What you're going to do if you don't first start with understanding that what, you're going to go into the meetings and talk about the how and not have that true foundation of what we're even talking about or the why, right? So you're going to go in and say, you know what, I listen to this podcast and they said we need to be talking about DEI and we need to be weaving in and integrating DEI into everything. So I'm going to put on my DEI lens as a communicating professional and I'm going to go into this meeting and I'm going to talk about this. And what do you think is going to happen, right? Either they're going to ask you to expound, to explain, and you're not going to have the foundational information to really stand upon, or you're going to be tasked with executing this through a DEI lens. And if you are then going to take that task back and do that without having that foundation, it's going to be performative. And folks are going to be able to see right through it, as we've been talking about. So the first step, I think, for communication professionals coming out of this conversation is to find you a DEI Foundations educational opportunity. There are courses that already exist out there. We provide an educational course that will come into your organization and do. Or you can wait for our e-course. It's coming probably Q2 of 2023, 2024. So that would be my first step um, in admonishing communication professionals. And then the second one is whenever I am writing something, whenever I am coming up with some degree of communications for anyone, ask yourself, is this accessible? and inclusive of everyone? Is it accessible to everyone? Is it inclusive of everyone? And then the second part is anyone excluded in this particular communication. Now, that doesn't mean you meant to exclude them, but the the objective question we're asking is, is anyone excluded in this particular communication? How can I remedy that? You can ask yourself that right now without having that foundational DEI understanding. I'm, that's such an, a, a core point. And I want to tie what you just said to something that you said earlier where my cat has made yet another butt <laughs> appearance. There's a cat butt and cat tail happening here. Um, and is that let's go back to what you said earlier and tie it to what you just talked about of opportunity mm-hmm. cost. What yeah. is the opportunity cost? of not Mm -hmm. understanding the what and just jumping to that Western mentality of fix it, fix it. Yes. But then that's when we get into the PR spin. It's just like, then we have Mm -hmm. a whole bunch of words that seem really beautiful, but actually mean nothing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I love that. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And people are going to pick up on that. Um, And 
they have the privilege of choosing a different organization. And so we want to make sure that whatever organization we work for, in, in whatever industry we're in, that we're the, the org of choice, right? And so how do we ensure that we are? That is through being genuine, being authentic, being organic, being honest. That's another thing about communication, Kim, that I would throw out. It's the honesty and the transparency. I was doing a, a, um, a podcast. I have slash had a podcast. I commend you for <laughs> being consistent in your podcast. It's hard work. But I have had a podcast called The Generational View. It's still out there for listening. And in one of the conversations, I was talking to a group of Gen Zers. And I essentially asked them just about how they make their buying decisions, how they make the decisions as to where they work, what what are they looking for in leaders? I was asking them all of these, what I would call meaningful questions for folks like you and I to hear answers to. And one of the things I asked them was essentially about an organizational, an organization's DEI, uh, I would say, traction. And essentially what I was trying to get at is if an organization is not yet, you know, there, they haven't reached the pinnacle of inclusion yet, right? Maybe they're just starting. Are you drawn to an organization like that? Or would you rather have an organization that's way further along and all the other things? And essentially what their answer was, was it really doesn't matter as long as they're honest about it, right? I don't want to go into the interview and you tell me you're on step five of the DEI journey, and I get in and I find that you're at step two. I'm okay with you being at step two, as long as you're honest, you're open, you're transparent about it, and you've committed to having a roadmap to actually get to step five. And so I thought that was extremely honest. Yes. It was extremely transparent. And I think it, it, we can learn a lot from that, right? If It's okay if you're at step one. Just be honest about that. That's right. Share that. Be genuine about it. And... It's also, you know, necessary that you have a plan to get to step five. That is such a key point, y'all. I mean, everybody, I hope you heard that. Like, hit the back <laughs> button if you need to rehear it and let it sink in. Make sure you take notes on that because that really is a key point. Thank you for sharing that. And find her podcast so you can hear the whole of the the conversation. But <laughs> that is that is so, so core. And something that um, some of our some of the clients that I work with are afraid of in that transparency is mm -hmm. one, they're so used to the spin and covering things. Mm -hmm. Two, there's the acts of the organization that are out of alignment of their DEI objectives. I'm being very kind mm -hmm. here with my yeah. words here. <laughs> <laughs> and so they'll just, you know, shove DEI into ESG, environmental social governance, put it into that report, um, which, you know, it cuts down on, on the visibility of it and then come up with ways to kind of skirt around with a whole lot of activities that they do <clears throat> that doesn't necessarily lead to the alignment of DEI outcomes uh, that mm -hmm. people are looking for. So, uh, yeah. it's maybe perhaps, you know, Gen Z, uh, you know, answering that way, we want the honesty and the transparency and yeah. having that roadmap, but it doesn't give you a license to take 20 years to do it. There has to Absolutely. be an ongoing communication mm -hmm. of ongoing action and visibility yeah. drives accountability. So, um, thank you. Can I tell you a quick story, Kim? Please. 
Yeah, yeah. It, it came to my mind as we were talking about this. We we had a client, and there's so much in this story that relates to all the things we're talking about, and it is communication driven. We had a client. Uh, we were in the beginning of our relationship. I would say they were at step one of this DEI journey. And our job was to essentially develop a strategic plan for them, a DEI strategic plan for the next several years. And so we're at the beginning of this relationship. And it just so happens that we're right in front of Black History Month, or if not in front of, we're right at the at the beginning. And they send over an email and they're like, hey, you know, our PR firm that we work with wants to potentially do something for Black History Month on social media. And we just want to know, you know, are do you approve this post? Like, are you aligned with th- this strategy around Black History Month integration? And I look at it and I'm like, no, I'm not. <laughs> no. Thanks for asking. No. Yeah, no. <laughs> How no. do I say hell no, but kindly? <laughs> hell no, right. Exactly. So, and, and, and also, let me add, it wasn't just Black History Month. It was it was kind of a, a DEI calendar, I would say, for social media. And Black History Month was a big part of it. And my response was, of course, no, I'm not. But I also am looking at this DEI calendar that was put together by a PR firm who hmm. clearly doesn't understand DEI right. Right. and who clearly hadn't done that DEI foundations work right. because there are so many gaps in this DEI calendar. There are so many identities that aren't reflected here or are represented here. There is, you know, the campaign that, that has been identified as the potential Black History Month campaign is not connected to your brand really at all. It's a check of the box. It's yes. performative. And so luckily they had a, a consultant in us to say, no, please do not do this. Because if you go out and you do this blast about Black History Month, what do you think your Black employees are going to say when you have been talking about DEI for the last two years and haven't done anything yet meaningfully? It, it's performative, right? It, it's a mm-hmm. check in the box that you think is going to help, but it's actually going to cause more harm. And so the learning in that is that, number one, identifying the things that we think might be helpful but may actually cause more harm. That's a a huge one. But the other one is working with organizations as contractors who are in communications that do not have a DEI lens or aren't doing their own personal DEI work can also be a risk to your business. And so I would encourage organizations, if you're working with external DEI or external communications professionals, require them to be doing certain DEI learning and development within their organization, because that's you managing and mitigating your own risk. Uh. I don't know how to shout amen from the rooftop <laughs> by sitting in this chair, but, and, and Raven, I deal with this all the time. You know, mm-hmm. it, it's just, there's this disconnect and, and, you know, the kinds of recommendations that'll come out of PR agencies when a social justice issue will come out of like, say no comment. And it's like, Janet Stovall and I wrote a whole book on all of this. Mm-hmm. Every PR agency, mm-hmm. brand agency, brand strategy team, should have this book, you know, because there is something that every organization can do. It should do. Um, and it's just that, that's, that is a, that is a big learning curve. Um, and you're right. Absolutely. Uh, communications teams should not be working with agencies that don't have a DEI lens 
on their yeah. communications and what they're, what they're recommending. Mm-hmm. So we're, we're recording this at the end of 23 and we're coming into a whole new year of 2024. Yay. From your perspective, <laughs> you know, and this is a question I ask of all uh, of all the guests, because I, I truly this is one of my favorite parts of the podcast is what does it sound or look like to communicate like you give a damn in 2024? <laughs> mm. What do we need to be prepared for? And I bet you if you're listening to this in 2026, it's still relevant. Touche, <laughs> mm-hmm. touche. <laughs> Gosh, I, I think I think of two things. One is to communicate like you give a damn in 2024 and beyond is to really communicate with empathy at the end of the day mm. is to imagine what it might be like for the other person on the receiving end of this communication based on a myriad of identities. And so to communicate with empathy, Brene Brown says it best, and I hope I can uh, capture this quote accurately when she talks about the definition of empathy, uh, because most people will say, well, empathy is about you know understanding one's experiences, and I'll never understand what it's like to be trans, or I'll never understand truly what it's like to be Black or what have you. And Brene Brown to that says, empathy is not necessarily about understanding one's experiences. But it really is about understanding the emotions that underpin one's experiences. Mm. And so I may not understand what it's like to be trans, but I can understand perhaps what it's like to be ostracized because of my identity. I can't understand what it might be like to be uh, underpaid (laughs) because of my identity. I can't understand what it might be like to have my safety in jeopardy every time I step outside of the house because of my identity. So I can understand the emotions that underpin that experience. So to communicate with empathy is to truly communicate understanding and keeping in mind what the emotions might be like that underpin one's experiences on the other end of this communication. And the last thing I would say when it comes to communicating like you give a damn in 2024 I'll I'll take this opportunity to plug one of my friend's upcoming books. His name is Justin Jones-Fosu, and his upcoming book is called How to Respectfully Disagree. And so he's writing this in light of the upcoming presidential election in 2024 that we know will provide ample opportunity for disagreement and that will present an opportunity to create great division. And so it's like, how do we disagree on a thing, but do so respectfully, empathetically, and compassionately? And so I will uh, urge folks to pick up that book whenever it's released. It's coming in Q1, I believe, if not April. Thank you for that. Yeah. Okay. Communicators are constantly trying to, to figure out the polarization that is happening. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, one of the things that I share with them is that what we're really mad at is the systems and not each other, but we're taking it out on yeah. each other because we feel so helpless to fix the systems. And right. so what can communicators do in order to bring people together, see that, mm-hmm. you know, that the other mm-hmm. is not the enemy. Um, you know, Joe in accounting is not the enemy, you know, um, and, and be able to unify and galvanize the strength and, and the, the, um, the, uh, the intelligence, the talent mm-hmm. of our workforce 
to bring people together in, you know, in times of crisis, especially in social justice crisis mm-hmm. situations, humanitarian mm-hmm. crisis situations. So thank mm-hmm. you for that empathy uh, lesson. That is, couldn't agree with you more. So Raven, mm-hmm. how can people get in touch with you, hire you, follow you, learn mm-hmm. more? Yeah, well, you can find me at ravensolomon.com. There you'll be able to access all of my social media handles. You'll be able to book a call and to bring me into your organization. You can find the books there. I would also uh, encourage you to find me on LinkedIn, Raven Solomon on LinkedIn. There every single week, as you mentioned, Kim, at the top of our discussion, we host an hour-long gathering of DEI professionals, enthusiasts, advocates, etc., where we just gather and we talk about DEI topics. It's absolutely free. And here's the the biggest benefit of it all, I think, is that it's audio only. So you don't have to come camera ready ever, (laughs) even if you are hosting or guest contributing. And so that being said, definitely find me on LinkedIn and join those audio rooms. Again, they're free. They're an hour long every Friday, 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. We're going on two years of that. Oh, um, my gosh. Two straight years. It's wild. Wow. Mm hmm. Raven, what a pleasure and honor it was uh, to have this conversation. I genuinely appreciate your time and spending time with us and um, for all that you do with your clients and, and the gift of your presence today for communicators to help connect the dots and communicate with empathy to communicate like we give a damn. Thank you so much, Raven. Thank you, Kim. It's been a pleasure. Okay, so what popped out to you from this conversation? And I mean, it may take a minute to process, but be sure not to brush off what you just heard. Look, you just need a partner to be with you through this experience and understand what to do next. So I'm inviting you to set up a one-on-one strategy session. All you need to do is go to communicate like you give a damn the podcast.com and you'll see the button there. The more conscious communicators in the world, the better the world. So thank you for listening. And until next time, let's communicate like we give a damn.